Welcome to St. James Lutheran Church and School, Chicago. I hope and pray that the following message blesses you with peace and hope in Christ, who died and rose for you for free. It is yours. If you'd like to support God's mission of giving life, hope, peace, joy, and love in the city of Chicago, go to stjames-lutheran.org. Peace. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God, our Heavenly Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Recently, Michaela and I were able to attend our first Traveler's Gala, which was an exciting time because it is an incredible party that's thrown here at St. James, and several things stood out to both of us at the occasion. First, of course, was the generosity that people showed as they cared for our school ministry and helped to shepherd that and shape the future there as far as our school is concerned. But the other thing that really stood out to the two of us was just the enthusiasm that people had to be back gathered together at a party, at an event like this, enjoying talking with one another, enjoying the drinks, enjoying the food, enjoying the company that comes with an event like that. And I think there's something that we miss very dearly about gathering together with our people around the course of food, around a fellowship meal, which is exactly what that was. We like to celebrate, and when we celebrate, we expect there to be good conversation and also the inclusion of a wonderful meal. And I think that's really what a lot of people missed the most during COVID. I think that was the thing that most people were were really angry about was the fact that they could no longer join in these kinds of meals with their friends, family, over the course of a meal together, joined together in fellowship. So there's something about fellowship meals that draw us together, that help to reveal, we would say, more about the relationship that's, you know, gathered together around the table, but also just about who we are as people, right? Think about the getting to know you process in various fields of life. It all involves food, right? When people go out for dates, they start out going, uh, you know, out for coffee together, and then eventually they progress to dinners together. Similarly, if you're new to an area, maybe you're new at work, what do you often do? You invite that person over for dinner because this is part of the getting to know you process. It's part of how we connect with the people around us. So again, if we think about this theme, it's true biblically as well, the way that meals often enliven conversation and also show us how we relate to one another. And think about how this is true from the very beginning of Scripture. Go back to Genesis. God could have chosen to relate to Adam and Eve in any way that he chose, and yet specifically, he tells them to eat of anything in the garden that they had been given, except for this one tree. And I think we tend to focus on the prohibition, right? We tend to focus on the don't eat from this one tree, but we miss the greater context. They're enjoying a meal that I would say is perfect, right? Perfect fellowship is enjoyed. They're able to know and be known by their creator without any awkwardness, without any misunderstandings, without any kind of effects of sin in this meal, in this conversation, we might say. So... What goes wrong in the garden? And I know that there's an infinite number of ways of talking about what goes wrong in the garden, but I would maybe present this different idea that it's, it's really an issue of table manners and who we are as guests at the meal. Because at the end of the day, what happens with Adam and Eve? They're no longer content to receive, to eat what's been prepared. Instead, what do they do? They reach for those things that are set apart from the two of them. 
So in essence, you've got a dinner party that's sort of gone awry in this very strange way in this uh, story. There's a social faux pas at the heart of the fall that ends up changing the relationship between God and between Adam and Eve. And what I love is that the, the, or the fact that immediately the fellowship they once enjoyed perfectly is now incredibly awkward. What's the first thing that they notice? The fact that they're naked. And I'm sure that if you were hosting a dinner party and someone showed up naked, you would be a little bit befuddled by this particular experience. And I think there's a certain humor that's involved here in this story. And that's exactly the point. Things now are different. They're altered, they're awkward, and the impulse is to hide, right? To cover up the shame that's felt through this experience of sin entering into the world. So that relationship, that fellowship that was once perfectly understood now is breaking down. And I think maybe Adam and Eve are thinking similar thoughts that we would, right? We're immediately thinking if we've said the right thing, if we've offended in some way, we're immediately wondering if we've overstayed our welcome. Maybe we're thinking we need to hide who we really are. And that's exactly, of course, what they do. Then it's no accident as we fast forward a little bit in scripture to Exodus that God once again joins his people together over the course of a meal. For thousands of years, it was the Passover that provided the identity of who the Jewish people are. Not only that they have a God who creates, but in fact that they have a God who saves, who redeems, who leads his people out from their captor. But notice the key difference between the Passover meal and the meal that was just enjoyed in the garden. Because before, that meal is, we'd say, bloodless, right? But Passover is different. Now, Fellowship's enjoyed, the people are saved from their sin, but something has to die. The Passover lamb is sacrificed. The blood of that lamb is put over the doorpost so that the angel of death would pass over the houses of the faithful Israelites. So fellowship is gained with God, but now there's a cost involved. So things are a little bit different. Fast forward a lot more, we get to the New Testament, and how does John the Baptist immediately identify this Jesus Christ? He says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John, it's no accident, the language he uses here. He's identifying Jesus as this final Passover Lamb who's come as the final sacrifice, the final atonement for sin. He's the one who's going to pay that price that Passover has been pointing us toward all along the way. So now we once again see God in fellowship with his people over the course of a meal gathered together with a sacrifice. And listen to how the gospel text describes the interaction. There's so much at play here. I love in particular Mark's rendition of this. It says that as they were eating, he took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And we'll come back to this line, but it closes out that when they had sung a hymn then, they went out to the Mount of Olives. We'll come back to that. But notice how God brings things full circle, right, between Genesis and now here in the gospel account. Whereas Adam and Eve proved to be unfaithful guests at the meal, now something different is happening. God is doing everything on their behalf. He's the one who's setting the feast. He's the one who's providing. He's hosting the meal. I would say taking care of everything that's needed for the occasion. But the food here 
is what's very different. And it's challenging for us, even if we were raised in the Lutheran church, the language here is still startling when we hear it. And if it's startling for us, think about how those in the first century would have heard this as well, right? For Jewish people, they had strict prohibitions about things concerning blood, for instance. So if we can be completely honest, what Jesus is saying here to their ears is kind of repulsive at the end of the day, right? Um, What is he talking about in terms of flesh and blood? And in fact, I would say, going a step further, he's uh, offering himself up, really, as the substance of the meal. So what should we be doing with this strange teaching that Jesus offers us here? And I think, in order to get to the heart of this, we can go to John chapter 6 and kind of be enlightened here as to what's going on. Because it's not just us that are confused by this teaching concerning the Eucharist, but it's also the people who would follow Jesus, who immediately raise red flags when he starts talking about body and blood. This interaction occurs after Jesus declares that he is the bread of life that's come down from heaven and that in order to have life in us, we're to feed on him. And here's, I love the the confusion. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can possibly listen to it? And after this, here we go. Many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So what are we to do? Jesus asked the 12, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. So the emphasis there is on the fact that within this meal, the Holy One of God comes to dwell richly with his people. But this meal, again, is different. So think for a moment about the meals that we eat. We eat, and then a little while later, we're hungry again. So ultimately, we're never really satisfied. We're constantly desiring something new, and you know that's who we are as people, constantly hungry for just a little bit more. But Jesus here becomes this mater d' of the feast in the Eucharist, and he provides this substance, which is his flesh and blood, and we receive something very different here. In the body and blood of Christ Jesus, we receive something that truly lasts. And it's a mystery, and yet, within this mystery, heaven and earth collide in this brief moment of satisfaction, true satisfaction, heavenly satisfaction, that we receive every time we gather together inside of the Christian church. This is why Holy Communion has been referred to as the peak, the summit of the Christian liturgy, right? All of our service kind of gears us up towards this celebration of the feast wherein God comes once again to join in fellowship with his people. And the church's response then is marvelously simple. We follow the words of St. Peter, Lord, to whom shall we go? We might not fully understand this, but nonetheless, you have the words of eternal life. Where else can we go to receive a meal quite like this? This meal feeds us, of course, it nourishes us, of course, but it also reminds us of the fact that God, each and every Sunday, comes to dwell with his people, form bonds of fellowship with them. So I think in the Eucharist, which is really the focus of Maundy Thursday, this last supper, this last meal that's shared right before the cross, we see several things, right? We see Christ Jesus becoming the ultimate sacrifice for sin, right? The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We receive a foretaste of the feast to come. Heaven in Revelation is described as a great wedding banquet, a meal that's enjoyed, a party, maybe of the sort of the Traveler's Gala. But most importantly, we also get to see what church is all about, which is people being bound together in fellowship, good company, good conversation. And it's about God drawing near to us, similar in the way that he did in the Garden of Eden. So no longer is God far apart from his people. Instead, he's in their midst 
whenever we celebrate this, whenever we gather together two or three in his name. So we can take great joy then that we, in fact, confess the real presence, right? I always think this is a wonderful doctrine that the Lutheran Church embraces because we can confess that God is truly present, not far off, among his people. So it's not our sin that now casts him off as had happened so often with the covenants that were broken in the Old Testament. Instead, God is near to his people, and in fact, his nearness is what purges away our sin, is what grants us perfect fellowship, perfect harmony in its place. And this is why I love that last line, that after the meal had finished, they sang a hymn and then they went out about their business. And what I love about that hymn is musically, something different happens after the meal, right? No longer is there disharmony. Instead, we would say there's melody, musically speaking, that's joined together in after the course of the meal is finished. And it's much like we receive uh, today in, in the sanctuary, in the congregation of saints, right? We're bound together by Christ Jesus, now in harmony with one another, not because of anything we've done, but instead what Christ Jesus has provided for us in this meal and in the love of God. So we have in Christ Jesus this fellowship meal that binds us together with God and with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And I would encourage you to see this theme all throughout the rest of our Holy Week journey. Jesus has joined together in this meal with people that, if we're being honest, over the course of the next day, will completely disappoint him. Everyone save John is mentioned as having fled from the cross. And yet, Christ Jesus creates fellowship with precisely these kinds of people. As we segue to Good Friday then, look for this theme that Christ Jesus continually, from the cross, is binding together people in fellowship in harmony, even as he's being sinned against. This is the perfect love of God that creates fellowship even when there wasn't fellowship previously. So Christ Jesus will do this now, of course, and he will also do this from the cross where he calls the entire world to be drawn to himself in this ultimate display of the love of God. Amen. And now may the peace which surpasses all understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord.